0: All right, we're going to jump into our message today. We're talking about being resolute as we go into 2018, out of 2017. So, if you get your Bibles out and your sermon notes, you can get on your YouVersion Bible app, and the sermon notes are there available for you as well. So, let's get those out and let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter (laughs) 9. Ew, a little cold outside, evidently. (laughs) (laughs) Vocal cords, a little frozen. Get them warmed up. Mark chapter nine, talking about being resolute. Now the word resolute, the definition of that word is just means marked by firm determination, resolved, bold, or steady. We're talking about being resolute in our life is that we need to be marked by a firm determination. It's one thing that, that we want to emphasize in our life that living for God is, it's going to require us to be resolute about it. We're going to have to be determined. We're going to have to be bold, and we're going to have to be steady. And we go into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do that, this at the first part of every year. And the reason we do it is just to set our hearts aside the first part of the year to say, God, we want to give you our best and dedicate this year, dedicate our hearts to you because we're believing when we focus our hearts on you at the beginning of the year, it sets the stage for the rest of the year. That when we set our hearts aside to God, we say, all right, God, I want to seek you first in 2018. We're marking something that the rest of the year is impacted by what we do at the beginning. God is a God of firsts. When you give to God first, the remainder is always blessed, whether it's the first being the tithe, the first part of your day, first part of your month, first part of your year, always give to God first. When you give to God first what you have left over is going to be blessed. And so that's what we're doing with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so we're gonna start that starting tomorrow. And uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you're new to Crossroads, or maybe you're new to the concept, you hear prayer and fasting, you're like, what? What is that all about? Prayer and fasting, we put the two together because the two should be together. Fasting is not something that only weird people do. It's not something that only radical, freaky Christians do. Jesus said in the Bible, he says, when you fast, fasting should be something that all followers of Jesus do at some point or another. And we'll talk about the benefit of doing that. But when we talk about prayer and fasting, there's, there's something that I want us to understand, the value of inserting prayer and emphasizing prayer. We're going to be emphasizing prayer during our, our prayer and fasting in that the church is going to be open every day of the week from six to eight in the morning for you to come and pray. So it's gonna be open if you live around here or you're able to get here. We want you to come and spend the first part of your day if you're able to, come and pray. You can come and go, it's not a two hour prayer session. You can come in for 15 minutes and go back out. It's totally up to you, but prayer, I believe, is the essential part of the prayer and fasting. And here's why, the word prayer, here's here's how I define prayer, you ready? Talking and listening to God. Talking and listening. When I grew up, all I thought praying was was what I said. Prayer is not just what I say, it's also what I hear. So don't just talk to God in prayer, listen to God. I'm convinced that we need to spend more time listening than we do talking. Because if we will spend more time listening, he will change what we're talking I may be praying the wrong thing. If I listen to God, he'll say, oh, stop asking for that. That's not what you need. You need to ask for this over here. And if I will listen to that, I'll hear that direction. All of a sudden, my prayers will start being being answered. Anyway, moving on. Talking and listening to God, or I put on the last part of this, spending time with him. Do you know prayer sometimes is not about what you say, and it's not even out of what you get out of it. It's just spending time with him. I believe God would say this. I believe God would say he has no problem finding people that say they want to spend eternity with him. His problem is finding people who wants to spend time with him. Come on. That's good. That's good. We brag about, oh, we'll spend eternity with God. Forever and ever. We're going to be with God forever. Hey, can I get you to spend 30 minutes with me? Oh, I'm a little busy. Ouch. Ouch. how am I gonna transfer that I can spend eternity with God when I can't give him 30 minutes of my day? Just food for thought. Spending time with him, is prayer. Here's some things that I jotted down. It's not, I'm not hating on social media, it's just some clever things that came up with. Do we Facebook more than we seek his face? Do we, this is this talking about prayer and fasting now? I'm just talking about what we need to do. Do we Snapchat with our friends more than we chat with God? Do we tweet more than we set at his feet? Come on, these are good. Let's some time on these. Do we, do we refresh our feed more than we get refreshed on our knees? Do we text more than we study the text? Here's some things God, I believe, is calling us to in prayer and fasting. He's calling us to relationship with him. God is not impressed with what we do for him as much as he just wants to hang out with him. He just wants to hang out with us. So now fasting, let me talk about fasting. Here's what fasting is, it's a very generic version. It's just kind of a simple way to define it. Here's what I say fasting is. Saying no to something in the natural more than you normally would in exchange for saying yes to something in the spiritual more than you normally would. Very basic definition. Saying saying no to something more in the natural than than you normally would and saying yes to or so that you can say yes to something more than normal in the spiritual. See, the process of fasting is about sacrificing something that's important to you for something that's more important. And let me be clear, just to define it, fasting from a biblical standpoint, when you say the word fasting, it's food. It's food. I mean, we've Americanized it, we've Westernized it, and we've come up with fasting as all kinds of things that we're fasting. I'm just going to fast Sony Sony PlayStation, or I'm going to fast uh, social media. I'm all for disciplines that we add to our life, but we're not fasting really biblically fasting until food is involved. And I'm not trying to criticize any of what you're wanting to do. And and we don't put uh, boundaries on what someone has to do. I just want to define it so that you know what the Bible means when it talks about fasting, because there's nothing like saying no to your stomach. Job says it this way, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There's a lot of things that we can say no to, but there's something about when we start saying no to our stomach that things go to a whole nother level. (laughs) So I encourage you, and we're going to talk about what that means in fasting in a little bit more, but you got your Bibles open to Mark chapter nine. I want to read this story and I want to explain something that I want us to emphasize in our prayer and fasting. Look in verse 17. I'm going to start reading there. It says, then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who, uh, who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him, Jesus speaks back to him, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Sounds a little harsh. You know, disciples couldn't cast it out, couldn't bring healing, and so he says, O oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Sounds like he's having a seizure. So he asked his father, how long, Jesus is talking to the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, since childhood, he said often he throws him into the, throws him both into the fire and into the water trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, but if you, talking to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice notice Jesus' response. He says to, if you can do anything, Jesus says, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe this is a prayer that, I know it's a prayer that I've prayed and maybe you've prayed as well, where the father in desperation says, God, I believe you, but help me with a part of me that doubts. We all face doubts. We all face doubt. Sometimes when we say, I have faith with no doubt, most of the time it's not true. We all have to deal with doubts in our life. The problem here, he's saying, Lord, I believe you with everything I know to believe, but help me with the part that's hindering me. Help me with the part that's holding me back. And so look what Jesus says. When he saw that the people come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him and he became as one dead so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifting him up and he arose. And when he come into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why would we not, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting So notice the disciples couldn't cast the demon out, couldn't get the boy healed. So they go into Jesus privately and ask him, why could we not cast it out? why Why did they ask him privately? Probably because they didn't want to hear the answer publicly. I'd probably be a little bit discreet about, Hey, Jesus, you know, could you break it down for me? I mean, we were out in front of these people and everybody was looking to us for, to get this done and we couldn't, we couldn't do it. So can you tell us why could we not cast it out? And in this version of the, of the story, in Mark's version, he just goes right in, says this cannot come out but by prayer and fasting. But if you look at Matthew's version of this story, in Matthew chapter 17, when they asked Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Here was Jesus' response. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What was the problem on why the boy was not healed through the disciples? He says, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Sometimes we can understand what Jesus is saying by what he doesn't say. Notice he did not say, when they said, why can we not cast it out? He didn't say, because you're not the son of God. He didn't say that. He didn't say, well, I'm Jesus and you're not. (laughs) he didn't say that. So in other words, Jesus' expectation was for them to be able to do what he did. So he said the problem was, your unbelief now notice it said the problem was not even their faith because he said if you have faith as a mustard seed so the problem is not you need some big ginormous faith what was holding you back was your unbelief and so when we read this story and it says in verse 21 then however this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting now traditionally and I've always said this when Jesus was talking about this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, I always interpret it as this kind of demon. That this kind of demon does not come out except by prayer and fasting. But as I was reading it this week, God said, Hang on, I'm gonna throw you a curveball. So is it that the demonic spirit does not come out except by prayer and fasting, or is it that the faithless unbelief does not come out but by prayer and fasting? I did the same thing, I chewed on it. I said, God, what are you saying? Is it that the demonic spirit doesn't come out or is it that the faithless unbelief doesn't come out? And I believe the answer is both. Because you cannot have one without the other. The demonic spirit is gonna come out by the power of God being released through the people and the power of God is not gonna be released through the people without the prayer and fasting. But here's some things we got to understand. What was the problem? The problem with them was not, here's what Jesus didn't say. Hey, why could we not cast it out? Jesus did not say, because you haven't prayed and fasted enough. He didn't say that. He says this kind does not come out by, by prayer and fasting. The problem was their unbelief. So here's what you want, need to understand. Prayer and fasting will cause us to experience things that we previously could not experience not because we impress God, but because we suppress us. If it was because I believe this, I'll say I don't believe. I'll phrase it this way: I don't believe this. I don't believe that praying, praying, fasting causes God to release more power that he was previously holding back on. I believe prayer and fasting causes us to remove the hindrance so the power that is available to us flows naturally. Come on, that's good. I don't believe that your prayer and fasting or my prayer and fasting impresses God into doing something for me. Because then it's about works. Okay, well I'm just gonna fast for five days and then the hand of God will be moved. No. God, you're not going to move for five days. I'll go seven, God. God, then we try to impress God with our depravity. Mm, come on, you got to work with me. Praying and fasting is not about our works. Praying and fasting does not move the hand of God. Praying and fasting moves me towards the hand of God. I'm convinced that prayer and fasting doesn't cause doesn't cause God to release more to me. It causes me to remove hindrances from the things that's holding me back. I wanna get junk out of the way. Prayer and fasting doesn't cause God to talk louder to you. Prayer and fasting causes the other voices to go quieter so that I hear his voice better. Setting yourself aside, prayer and fasting is saying no to you. And when you say no to you, the yes to God becomes so much easier. So I want you to see when he says this kind comes not but by prayer and fasting, the importance of why we're doing it. So we asked two questions for 2018. What were the two questions that we asked that we're going to ask God? Number one, we're going to ask God this first question, God, what do you want me to want? What do you want me to want in 2018? When I was preparing for this, I I felt like God was saying back to me, I want you to want me. (laughs) I'm not sure it was God, it was just a thought that came to my head. But what does God want you to want? Not what does God want you to do? We're so enamored with our ability to do something to impress God. We love to do things, Martha. Story about Martha and Mary, that Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's running around doing things, doing everything she should for Jesus, doing all these things, trying to try and impress Jesus with how her presentation. And Mary's just sitting there. Martha gets mad, say, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and do something. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 back up, Martha. Mary's to- chosen the best thing. Yeah. Prayer and fasting is not about us impressing God. It's about suppressing us. It's about saying no to us. I must decrease that he might. I'm not trying to impress God. I'm not trying to impress people. I'm trying to kill myself. Not literally. I'm just saying I'm trying to crucify myself. I'm trying to say no to my wants. And if I will say no to my wants, I can say yes to his wants. What do you want me to want? See, because when we, you got to understand, God wants to give you the desires of your heart, He wants to do it. But the problem is if our wants and desires don't line up with his, he can't give us those desires. Because if he gives us the desires that don't line up with his, he'll be giving us less than his best. God's desires for your life are the best. If we want what God wants, we don't just want his best, we really want the best. When you pursue the ways of God, you're pursuing the best way. If you want want a relationship with a boy or girl, do it God's way. It's the best. It's the best. You want want to be successful in your marriage? Do it God's way. It's the best. I didn't say it was easy. I said it's the best. You want to run your business the best way you can run it? Run it God's way. Careful who you ask opinions on how you should run your life. If they give you wisdom that goes against the wisdom of God, you need to turn the other way and go the other direction. God's ways are the best. So we got to do, what do you want me to want? Here's the second question. What do you want me to stop or leave behind? God, what do you want me to want? What do you want me to stop or leave behind? See, it's not where you're going. Everybody, I'd say if we'd ask everybody, do you want to have a better year in 2018? Everybody would say yes. But the difference in whether you're going to experience that better year is what are you willing to leave behind in order to get there? See, change is a two-sided coin. It's a two-sided coin. Out with the old, in with the Out with the old, in with the new. Change involves both. You can't have just one. If you try to live your life just out with the old, then you're gonna create a vacuum because what happens if you try and stop doing something bad and you don't replace it with something good, you will create a vacuum in your life that will suck you right back into your old habits. You try and just take bad people out of your life and not replace it with good, healthy, godly relationships, there will be a built-in vacuum that will suck you back to them called loneliness. But when you replace something old with something new, you don't miss the old anymore because your attention's on something new. This is the same way when you're fasting, when you're praying. Don't focus on what you're giving up, focus on what you're chasing after. If you sit around every day and go, man, I wish I could eat, I'm so hungry. Man, I just can't believe it. I'm hungry. I'm giving up this, and you're focused on what you're giving up all the time. You're going to bring yourself down. You're going to bring a vacuum. You're going to be running to that refrigerator, that cabinet. You're going to be, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> don't create the vacuum. You got to fill the void. If I'm going to say no to something, I need to be saying yes to something better. I need to be saying yes. With a, a no without a yes is going to leave a vacuum. So now we've got to figure out. We got to go all in. We got to go all in. See, sometimes we want everything that God has for us without giving up anything in return. We want to buy in without selling out. That's good. Yeah. Do you remember when I was a kid, we used to talk about? There'd be this phrase: "Hey, are you sold out?" I don't hear it as much anymore. I don't know if this is common a phrase when they're talking about living for Jesus. Say, "Are you sold out?" What that means is, "Are you all in?" But too many times we want to buy into this Christianity thing without selling out. We want, what's the minimum I've got to do to get involved with this whole heaven thing? Of course I want to go to heaven. Who doesn't? So, what's the base minimum here? Am I right? Hey, don't look at your neighbor, just look straight ahead. <laughs> so, we want to be all in. And this is what God's speaking to me about going into this prayer and fast. He said, Chad, I want you to be all in in 2018. You're like, haven't you been up till now? I thought I was. But here's what happens. When you pursue after God, he'll begin to show you areas of your life where you thought you would have said, oh, I'm all in for God. He said, oh, okay, what about this? Well, except for that. <laughs> except for that. So let me give you some examples of some people that were all in. The disciples. The 12 disciples. Uh, Jesus was talking to them, and here's what Peter said in Mark chapter 10. He said, Lord, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time while they're still alive houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions Make sure we throw that in. And in the age to come, eternal life. With persecutions. Going all in for God. I feel like I need to give this disclaimer with it. Make sure we understand. When we go all in for God, we're going all in with a price. But here's something that the question that came to me this week. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? When did we, as followers of Christ, buy into this ideology that living safe was actually safe? The purpose of life is not to arrive safely at death. See, when we understand we're going to be followers of Christ, I'm going to challenge you because God's saying this in my heart. Hey, Crossroads, we're all in in 2018, we're all in. No more spectators. And I know I can speak to a body of people either on the internet or, or here in a service and, and we can hide in the numbers, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as an individual. Are you all in? And you don't have to answer to me. There's no, there's no point answering to me. I'm nobody, but you're going to have to answer to God. Am I as a follower of Jesus, am I all in or am I playing it safe? See, Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. He didn't die so that Christians could have a safe house called a church from the big bad world and hide in here and pray that he would somehow come and rescue us from this awful, terrible world. He died to make you dangerous. I was preparing for this message last night, I was laying on my bed and, and going through some of the things, and Lucas comes running and jumps on the bed. And so I'm talking out loud, and, and I looked at him and I said, Lucas, Jesus didn't die to make us dangerous, or die to make us safe, he died to make us dangerous. He kind of furrowed his brows, he said, Jesus doesn't want us to be dangerous. I said, dangerous to the devil, and he goes (gasps) See, who convinced us that faithfulness to God is simply holding down the fort instead of storming the gates of hell? In Matthew, Jesus was talking and he said to Peter, He said, On this church, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When's the last time you saw a gate attacking someone? A gate is a defensive place. It's a protective place to keep people out. You put up a gate to keep people out. He says the church, the gate, the kingdom of darkness is defensive. The church, the kingdom of God is supposed to be offensive. God didn't die to make us safe. He died to make us dangerous. He wants you to be dangerous that every day you wake up, the devil's like, oh no, they're awake again. My Bible reads this way in Luke chapter eight. Do you remember the story of the demoniac named Legion? Maybe you've never heard that story, but there's a, a man that was possessed by so many demons, they called him Legion, thousands of demons, was tormenting people all over the countryside. Everybody was afraid of him, chained him up, and when Jesus showed up on the scene, Legion didn't come to Jesus and run up to him and go, rawr, I'm here to torment you, Jesus, boo. He didn't do that. He didn't run up to Jesus and go, ha, I'm going to get you, Jesus. What happened when Jesus showed up on the scene? Here's what he says in Luke chapter 8, verse 28. It says, where is it? Where'd you go? I had it. I had it. I'm coming. There it is. What have I to do with you, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. I want us to challenge our mindset. Instead of worrying about the devil tormenting us, let's concentrate on tormenting the devil by living a life sold out, all in for Jesus. That we're not afraid of what the devil's doing, he's afraid of what you're doing. Oh, what are they praying about? What are they praying about? What do they believe in God for now? What are they trying to take? What are they trying to possess? What are they breaking into my gates for again? What are they doing inside my gates again? They were just there yesterday. What could they be taking back now? When are we going to have a mindset that the devil's the one that's afraid of you? He's afraid of you grabbing a hold of the promise of God and saying, "Not anymore on my watch." The devil says, "Stop tormenting me with your praying. Good Lord, you're praying over it, over. Just stop praying. OK, take it. Take it. But we think, no, the devil's tormenting us. Here's a question for you. When did radical become the extreme instead of the norm? Are you all in? See, somehow in the church, radical got turned into a negative. Those people are radical. There's some of those radical Christians. When did radical become a negative? The disciples were all in, they were radical. Can we dream of being radical again? The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ is not radical but normal. Let me say it again. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ is not radical, it's normal. It's normal, it's time to go all in. The first century church, in the first century church, radical and normal were synonyms. We've turned them into antonyms. Well I don't wanna be radical, I just wanna be a normal Christian. When did that happen? Where we embraced mediocrity, mediocrity. We embraced mediocrity. We said, I just want to be average. I just want to be normal. I just want to blend in. That's not in your Bible. The Bible says, be radical for him. I'm not talking about being a freak or being a looney tune or a fruitcake or whatever. I'm talking about being a follower of Jesus and being all in to serve Him. See, the greatest lie that's told by the devil is that if you go all in for God, just tone it down. If you go all in for God, you're going to miss out on some fun stuff. That's the lie he got Adam and Eve with. Here's what he told him, "God's holding out on you. He knows if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. God says he's not holding out anything on you. Psalms 84 says this, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we have to sell out in order to buy in. So I'm going to close with this story and two biblical illustrations of it. I was reading about a guy by the name of Hernan Cortez. Here's a great photo of Hernan. Hernando is another way of saying, but we're close enough, I call him Hernan. But anyway, (laughs) Hernan Cortes was a Spanish explorer in February 1519, he set sail for Mexico. And this exploration was not anything more significant than any others. I mean, there's a lot of exploration of the new world going on, so nothing major different about him. He set sail with 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, 553 soldiers. But what was different about Hernan is he gave a command that changed the mindset of their mission. Here was his command. When they got to land and they all exited the ships, He turned around and gave an order, an unprecedented order. He said, all right, burn the boats. Burn them all. As the people that came, all the 500 and some soldiers came and all the people that were there and they watched the boats burning and sinking into the water, they realized there was a one-way ticket for this mission. This is what I'm talking about being all in for God. There's no plan B. There's no backup safe plan. There's no temptation to sail back to the life that you were living before. I'm all in for God. I'm not leaving me a rescue boat so that I can make visits back to my old life. I've burned my boats. I've burned my past. I've burned my history. I'm going all in for the cause of Christ. There's no place in our world where we're going to live successful for God as long as we have boats as backup so that we can go back to the way we once lived. you got to burn your boats. You may need to look at your neighbor and say, hey, burn your boats, burn your boats, burn your boats. Because if we don't burn our boats, we won't be all in. Let me give you two examples. One who did not burn his boats and one who did. A story about a guy in the Bible called the rich young ruler. He's a very wealthy person had an elite position in life, had a great career. Everything we would think we would want in life, a lot of money, a lot of authority, great position, great career, great retirement plan, great benefits. I bet he had all. And he comes to Jesus. He said, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus was like, well, just keep the commandments. Jesus knew it wasn't about what you do. He knew it was about something you believe, but he thought, I'll play your silly game. Keep the commandments. Because he wanted to show him something in his heart. And so he said, which ones? And Jesus told him these certain commandments. and, And he said, all of these commandments I have kept since my youth. He said, but he asked this question, what do I lack? What do I still lack? Why do I still have this empty void on the inside of me? Jesus said, there's one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. He was like, run that by me again. Ah, Take all of your possessions, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What you talking about, Willis? He's like, turned away and walked away sorrowful because the Bible says he had great possessions. Was the problem, and I ask you this, was the problem that he had great possessions or was the problem that the possessions had him? I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a few people that are possessed by the devil, like demonically possessed. I've seen seen several, but I've seen a lot more people that were possessed by their possessions. They couldn't burn their boats. He walked away, Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus wanted to give him something. We feel sorry for the rich young ruler because Jesus asked for everything. I mean, Jesus, couldn't you at least just ask for the tithe? Jesus asked him for everything because he loved him too much to ask for anything less. God's asking you to be all in because he loves you too much for you to keep something in your own self that you won't give to God because he knows as long as you keep something in your hand, he can't give you something in return. I'm wanting to give you something in your life, Jesus said, but you're gonna have to give up something in return. He wouldn't burn his boats. But there's a guy named Elisha. Elisha was plowing a field for his parents. 12 yoke of oxen. In the Bible, in those times, that meant his family was rich. If you have 12 yoke of oxen, you've got a good inheritance. You've got something waiting for you. He's plowing this field, 12 yoke of oxen, and all of a sudden, Elijah, the prophet, comes by and passes his mantle over Elisha. And all of a sudden, Elisha, who was plowing this field, Elisha wasn't a farmer. That wasn't his calling in life. Just because you can run a plow doesn't make you a farmer. He was fulfilling his parents' vision for his life. But God had another call on his life. But he had to say no to the expectations of other people to say yes to the expectations of God. So he ran to Elijah and said, wait a minute, wait, I wanna follow you, but can I please go kiss mom and dad first? So Elijah said, yeah, go on, kiss your mom and dad. So he goes back. He doesn't just kiss mom and dad, but he takes his yoke of oxen, he kills them, takes his plow, breaks it up and burns it and barbecues his ox. What was he doing? He was going all in. He was burning his boat. He was saying, I'm going to leave nothing to go back to. I'm all in for following God. He said no to Elisha Farms Incorporated and said yes to serving volunteer for an itinerant preacher. Rich inheritance with a farm, no money, walking around being a servant for a preacher. But I promise you when you say no to something lesser, (laughs) here's what happened. Elijah touched him with something greater, and when you encounter something greater, you will say no to something lesser. When you come in contact with something greater, all of a sudden something that was precious to you loses its value. Elisha burnt his boats. What's the cost of not burning your boats? Let me close with this. The rich young ruler, I believe, became a rich old ruler. And on his deathbed, you remember when he asked, what do I still lack? I believe in that moment on his deathbed, he could have been thinking. He still had that vacancy in his heart. And in that moment, I believe in his head was going over and over the words of Jesus, come follow me, come follow me. What would my life look like if I would have given everything away and followed Jesus? The regret in his heart because he didn't go all in. So here's what I want to challenge us in 2018. Crossroads as a church, we're wanting to go all in, but it's not just about us, it's about you individually. Are you all in for serving God in 2018? What boats do you need to burn? You need to burn some boats. Burn some, burn the boat named SS Regret. Burn the boat named SS Past Failures. Named SS Past Successes. Burn the boats of whatever's in your past and jump on board what God wants to do in your life. So two questions, I got them in your sermon notes there and I want you to answer them. You don't have to answer them today but I want us to pray about them. Are you all in? God, what do you want me to want? And what do you want me to stop or leave behind? You're never gonna go somewhere new if you won't leave somewhere old.